This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome back to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Blackaby. Good to see you, Sam. Hope you're doing well. I am. It's always a pleasure. Hope and your kids are healthy. Well, you know, they're getting there. It's, uh, <laughs> it's an ongoing process. Boy, I have just uh, never knew uh, people could be so sick so often. <laughs> little kids, little preschoolers are just germ factories, aren't they? They are. They they certainly are. And so we're we're always dodging a cold or something here yeah. and there so it's uh and you know at least once a once a month we're all healthy so that <laughs> you celebrate that day <laughs> celebrate those little wins <laughs> well if you've been uh listening uh recently to the podcast we've been going through a disciple making series and just looking at the life of Christ and how he uh made disciples quite frankly and uh this is part 4 of that uh discussion yeah. we've been uh, walking our way, moseying our way through uh, <laughs> Luke chapter 9. And uh, last time we saw how, uh, really how small-minded we can be sometimes. Yeah. And when we, uh, specifically the, the feeding of the 5,000, and uh, how often, if, if we had gotten what we asked from God, uh, it would actually be um, just a real uh, loss to, yeah. to those around us. Yeah, sometimes the worst thing God can do is give you what you asked for, hmm. uh, and knowing all along that He intended to give you far more than that. And so, yeah, it's it's good sometimes just to soak a bit in uh, passages. You know, for years and years, people would always say about my dad, "Just how do you see those things?" You know, I, those, they'd say, "I've I've read those chapters for years, and I never saw that." And you just uh, opened it up so beautifully, and. My dad would say there's nothing uh, unusual about his IQ, his uh, Bible reading. You just spend time soaking. You don't you don't move real quickly. You just you take time to notice each word and you ask the right questions. Like, well, what am I missing here? Well, there's more here than what I've seen. Uh, what else is there? And uh, you know, as, I, I'm one that kind of marks up my Bible and highlights it, write no, writes notes beside it. Um, and it does get harder to see fresh things when you've got all kinds of underlinings and markings and notes already. Looking past all of the things that you saw previously to see mm-hmm. something fresh and new can be a challenge sometimes. And that's why I think it does help periodically to get a new Bible. Even if your old one's not worn out, once you've really marked it up, uh, get a new one and say, okay, God, show me some fresh things I hadn't seen in the last Bible mm. and uh, and keep doing that. So that's what we've been trying to do just as we walk through Luke 9. Just look at what comes um, and just just ask questions about it. And and so we're, we're picking up in Luke 9, verse 18. And of course, throughout this whole chapter, there's just a series of events that take place. They're kind of assembled here by Luke as he's putting his gospel together. And one thing you do notice, and we'll see this over and over again, is that not not in every verse, but there's just a series of stories in this chapter where you see three things, where basically the disciples come up with a plan, and then God rebukes them for their small plan, and then God shows them a better way. Uh, and you'll just see that over and over again. And you'd think that at a, at a certain point, by the end of the chapter at least, the disciples should have figured out Okay, every time we come up with a plan, it's less than what God intends. Maybe we should check with him more often <laughs> and see if he has a plan and then... instead of coming up with our own. But mm-hmm. but leaders are often quite enamored with their own thinking and their own planning 
and they would just really prefer if God would just bless their plans rather than take time to learn what God's plan is. And well, so, you know, I can hear I could hear some leaders uh, sort of murmuring in the background when you say that, Richard, and I I wonder if they wouldn't ask. Well, but God gave me a brain, didn't He? Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, uh, and I've heard I, people say that. You know. Yeah. How, what am I supposed to do with all these thinking thoughts yeah. that I have? I'd say, well, use your brain. And the smartest, and the first thing you need to think with that brain is, whose brain is bigger, mine or God's? <laughs> <laughs> and whose brain do I want calculating what I should do with my life mm-hmm. and my organization I lead, my brain or God's brain? And the smartest thing you can ever do is lean into God's understanding and guidance and lean away from your own. But uh, but yeah, that's right, uh, and I'm sure that that's what these disciples thought, is uh, the leader kind of gives you the big picture, and then it's up to us to figure out the details. And mm-hmm. I'll just tell you, the longer that I've walked with God, the fewer and fewer details I want to do on my own. I want God to handle even the small details, and at least to be open. It's not that I don't ever think through things and work on things, but I want to always be receptive and open any moment God wants to intervene and guide me to a better way. And I just want to have a standing invitation. God, anytime you want to upgrade what I'm doing, upgrade what I'm thinking, I just want to keep those channels open so that the slightest nudge, the slightest whisper, and I've just moved from what what I was going to do to what you intend for me to do. And so you get to uh, verse 18, and it says, while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him. And that's kind of interesting. It seems like, well, was he in private or not? Or yeah. does it is does it mean that, and you know, you have to remember that Jesus has got 12 companions with him all the time. And that's not even counting, you know, the women that were around him, the, the, uh, the sort of second tier kind of disciples that were following, but weren't in the 12, the crowds, uh, the just the interested people from community to, to, to community that would, would drop in and out. I mean, Jesus is just surrounded by people. And so how does, how does he ever have time to pray? Uh, and you might think this too. You might think, you know, I have to leave for work at 6.30 in the morning. I'm in an, a busy office building. I've got an administrative assistant right outside my door. I've got Maybe I work in a you know in a cubicle and I, there's people all around me. Um, how do I have any time at all to even just lift up a thought toward God? Uh, and I don't I, I I don't think that it was easy for Jesus either. But I think he found a way. And so I, I think it's just interesting. It says while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, uh, he asked them, "Who do the crowds say that I am?" and my dad, I've heard him unpack this before, and he has said, it, it doesn't say it explicitly, but it seems almost as if God, Jesus was, was talking to his father, and it just seems that out of his prayer life, he asked this question. Um, and I'll tell you, sometimes when you're spending time with God, God's going to help you know what you should be talking about with the people you lead as well, maybe with your kids. Uh, I've had that before, whereas I was praying for my kids, it was as if God said, well, as you're praying for your son, Mike, here's some things that you're going to need to talk with your son, Mike, about. And here's some things you need to bring up with your daughter. And uh, and so it's interesting that Luke links his prayer life with 
really one of the most important discussions that Jesus is going to have with his disciples. And remember, uh, in Matthew's gospel, when he asked this very same question, uh, and, and Peter gives the right answer, Jesus is going to say, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my father has. And, and so you wonder if Jesus doesn't recognize that, the, that it's the father who's working in his disciples' life. Uh, you know, they see Jesus every day, but Jesus said, it's the father who's given you to me. Uh, he says that in John 17, he says, I didn't choose you. The father gave you to me yeah. and I received them. And, and of course in Luke's gospel, it tells us that he prayed all night and then he called his disciples. And so, uh, Jesus understood these are people that, that my father has given me. And so it may be, it may well be that when he's praying in private to his father, his father says, all right, uh, you've been a good steward of these people I sent you. It's time to test them and see what they've learned. And so ask them this question, who do people say that I am? Who are the crowds saying? And they answered in verse 19, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others that one of the ancient prophets has come back. And so Obviously, the people understand Jesus is is unusual. He's not just like a normal run-of-the-day mill kind of uh, uh, wannabe messiahs, uh, but they still obviously get it wrong. They still think a lot less of him than they should. And so their answers are all wrong. And of course, 2,000 years later, uh, the crowd still are speculating about who Jesus was, and they all have their opinions. And mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all their speculations. But, but then it's, in verse 20, it says, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And of course, that's the gist of every walk with God is we all have to answer that. No one can answer that question for us. Uh, and ultimately, it doesn't matter what others are saying about Jesus. What matters is what we say, what we believe. And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Uh, and this is, of course, the first time, it's a breakthrough time where for the first time the disciples in a formal teaching setting have have spoken out loud what perhaps they've been thinking for a while. You're, you're the Messiah. Uh, and, um, and, and it's interesting that it, Jesus doesn't just tell them that up front. He says, follow me, and you're going to come to the conclusion I must be the Messiah. He could have just said, here's the answer. Uh, but he said, no, I, I want you to come to your answers as you are in relationship with me. I could tell you that I'm all powerful, but if you hang out with me for very long, you'll experience that I'm all powerful. You, I could tell you I'm holy, but you just spend time with me and you'll experience my holiness. And as my dad famously wrote, uh, it's not just about what we know about God, it's what we've experienced of God. And mm-hmm. so it's as they had experienced him that they've come to this conclusion. But I wonder too. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Um, I wonder too if that's uh, something. Uh, I don't know what the term for it is, but there's something more powerful about if you're when you're teaching that uh, that your students or the people you're teaching discover the truth. Like you, you bring them to that truth rather than just tell them the truth. Yeah. And there's there's yeah. some something more powerful, more sticky, if you will, about learning in, in that way rather than just here are the facts here's here's the truth just do it yeah but when you when you bring someone to that truth and let them discover it uh there seems to be a lot more power in that oh for sure it's head you know god's people are filled with head knowledge but it's the experiential truth that lasts that we we remember 
you know, and, and even in raising your kids, you can, you can tell them, okay, here's how to handle failure. But if they haven't actually experienced failure, it's all theory. But yeah. you, you let them try and you let them fail. And then you help walk with them through that failure uh, to get back on their feet, to try again, to yeah. learn humility, to learn to seek instructions. Um, and that's far more useful to them than just protecting them from failure or, or telling them in theory what they should do if that should ever happen to them. That's why I think, especially with your kids and even just as you lead, you want to give your people a wide variety of experiences because every experience has a different lesson you can learn. And so Jesus, of course, has his disciples doing a lot of things that really stretch them for fishermen and people like that. Um, they're, they're doing stuff they've never done before, but they're learning lessons they've never had a chance to learn before also. Yeah. And so, but there are testing times. And, and I think that what we learn from this is as God allows your life to go through some, maybe some difficult times, uh, there'll be a test where God says, so what have you learned from this? What, what have you learned about me through this? Um, you just, you just lost a loved one. You were just fired from a job. Uh, you were just healed from an illness. Uh, so what, who do you say that I am? What has that taught you about me? Uh, and what has that taught you about you? Uh, and those are, those are some questions that God's going to regularly come back to us and say, okay, in light of this experience, what have we learned? Uh, how are we different? If you've ever wondered how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda, then consider attending Blackaby Ministries Spiritual Leadership Coaching Workshop April 17th to the 19th at Johnson Ferry Baptist Church in Marietta, Georgia. Not only is there great teaching at this workshop, but you will also get to practice what you learn. Use code EARLYBIRD at checkout for a special discount. To find out more and to register, visit blackabycoaching.org slash workshop. Links will be in the show notes. So then you get to verse 21 and it says, but he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. And of course, it, it seems sort of counterintuitive that for someone who's trying to start a worldwide movement that he keeps trying to keep it a secret who he is. Yeah. But of course, um, he's not trying to do things the world's way. Uh, he's not trying to just get a huge rally where he just has this r reveal time and lets everybody know and starts a movement. Um, he is trying to reach people's hearts. He's trying to reach people one by one. Uh, we're always trying to look for the, the, the massive intake and the large numbers. And Jesus uh, oftentimes doesn't do things that way. Uh, he does things in a way that will last, that will be permanent, that will be lifelong change, but, uh, but he does it differently. And so it's interesting that, that you'd think that disciples, I'm, I'm just sort of envisioning these disciples probably have been talking among themselves for a while about, do you think he really is the Messiah? Do you think that he's the one? Boy, he sure does stuff we've never seen anyone else do. You know, he sure seems different, but, but could he be the Messiah? And then finally the test comes, the midterm. And now it's, it's out there in the open. For the first time, they're saying to his face, you are the Messiah, aren't you? And, uh, and, and he, uh, for the first time, acknowledges that and then says, but don't tell anyone. Um, and, of course, that's probably the exact opposite thing they thought he would say. 
they would think, okay, now that you've got it, get out there and tell everybody else. Now, now is the revolution. Yeah, let's get it started here. But he's, but then what's interesting is they just have this breakthrough where for the first time they know Jesus to a degree, to a level that they've never known him before. And then what does he do? He starts talking about suffering. Um, and you think, again, that's sort of counterintuitive. You'd think that after knowing more of God than I've ever known, we'd be talking about joy. We'd be talking about power. We'd be talking about world transformation. Instead, he says, because you've come deeper with me, I, now I think I can entrust you with a discussion about suffering. Uh, I think sometimes we think that if you're a very mature Christian, somehow you become exempt to that, that that's kind of suffering is for the lower level Christians and, and Jesus followers. But oftentimes, suffering is reserved for those who've gone deeper with Jesus. And it's not until they reach uh, a higher level of understanding that Jesus begins to talk to them about suffering. And, um, and you'll notice that as he walks with them, and, and then he goes on to apply it to them. It's not just Jesus who'll suffer. In verse 23, it says, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Uh, and of course, it's a threefold process. And there's lots and lots of disciples who want to follow him. There's not nearly as many who want to deny themselves and take up the cross. But it appears that it's a threefold process. You cannot follow Jesus unless you first denied yourself and taken up your cross. And, uh, and I'm afraid that for a lot of the evangelism that takes place in our world today, we don't mention the denying yourself part. Yeah. You know, we, we just say, well, no one else is looking. No one else will ever know. Just quietly pray this prayer, raise your hand, uh, and you're, you're in. And Jesus will come into your heart and you'll be a Christian. But there's no, uh, are you ready to deny yourself? But, but hey, before you become a, an official follower, are you ready to take up your cross? Because you cannot follow Jesus and not have a cross of your own. Um, we we kind of skip over the cross part. We just want to be, get people in the kingdom of God. But true disciples, uh, before they ever start following, have first denied themselves and that taken up their cross every day. By the way, it's not a one-time decision. It says, take up your cross daily. Uh, and of course, a cross was an instrument of death. Uh, you, you, if you had a cross, it meant that all of your plans were done. Uh, you, you didn't have a lot of long-range plans when you were carrying a cross around. You, you knew your destiny at that point. Uh, and so when you pick up your cross every day, what that's saying is, I'm dying to my plans, my aspirations, my goals, my wants, my, my desires. And all I really desire now is to just go with Jesus, just to be with him, to do what he does. Um, and I tell you, it, you might have died to yourself yesterday, but you're going to have to pick up your cross again today. Yeah, because, today's a new day. Uh, our flesh very quickly starts to convince us that we deserve better, that we ought to pamper ourselves, that people should treat us better. Um, and But a person carrying a cross in the first century, you knew they were as good as dead. You could insult them. It really didn't matter because they were going to be dead soon anyway. Uh, and I've had to find sometimes that when other people uh, annoy me or get under my skin or my feelings get hurt, a lot of times the reason is I've not adequately crucified myself today. If I was carrying my cross... 
it wouldn't matter. I, why would I care? If you're going to a place of execution, do you really care if someone says something unkind to you as you walk along the road to your execution? Um, probably not going to make that much difference at that point. You're about to die. Uh, but if you're not ready to die to yourself, then everyone's opinion is going to really sting and matter, and uh, and any sacrifice is going to just seem so hard for you. Uh, but carrying that cross daily says, okay, God, today let me die to myself and let me spend this day following you and living my life for you. And then verse 24 says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. And of course, again, that's very counterintuitive. Um, we think to save your life, you have to try to save your life. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of goes together. Uh, but he says, no, if you try to save your life, you'll actually lose it. Which, And I've seen so many people do that. I've talked about this before, but uh, when my dad was pastoring this little church in Canada, he kept giving himself away all the time. He kept, every time we'd have some quality new people join our church, he'd encourage them to go and help one of our mission churches out. And uh, a tither would come along and he, and he would he would give the money uh, to support a pastor in a, one of our mission churches. And people kept saying, well, you can't, if you just keep giving yourself away, you, you're never going to grow yourself. And they would say, Henry, you, you have to build up your base first. You have to make sure you're strong and then you can help others. And dad would say, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you keep giving your life away, um, you'll discover that God keeps on giving you more. And so I remember at one point, after a couple of years, uh, you know, we're running 140, 150 people in our church, and, and yet we keep giving people away all the time. And you, you think, well, see, Henry, you've, you keep giving yourself away, and you're only running 150 people. But then dad said, but yeah, but when, let's count up all the people who are in a mission churches. And that was like around 2,000 people. And so it's kind of like, well, no, if we just kept it all to ourselves, maybe we'd be running 200 people now. But we gave ourselves away and there's 2,000 people worshiping God every Sunday now because we gave ourselves away. And so Jesus was saying, <clears throat> if you really want to have a worldwide impact, uh, then don't just try to protect yourself and never overextend yourself or be too sacrificial because you're never going to you're never going to expand God's kingdom around the world as long as you're worried about giving too much away. Uh, and then it just goes on to say, for what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is just saying, um, you're, you're playing it safe here. Uh, and you're worried about what other people think of you and what they're saying about you. You're, you're being ashamed of me in a hostile environment. And you're playing it so safe and comfortable. You, you're, worried more about, uh, you're worried more about the approval of people than about God's approval and that's going to lead to disaster. And so, uh, some, and you know, of course, the, the disciples at this point, they probably don't understand all this now. But when persecution comes and they start being martyred, uh, all these words are going to come flooding back and they're going to realize, okay, we're in a world that wants to throw us to lions. But Jesus said not to be ashamed of him and uh, to stand boldly for him and not worry about what would it cost us if we take a stand for Jesus 
but rather what will it cost us if we don't take a stand for him, if we become ashamed of him. And so these are some pretty pretty powerful uh, lessons that Jesus has. And, uh, and maybe next, uh, next time we can talk about another one of those really profound uh, moments when Jesus is transfigured on a mountain. And uh, it's uh, one of those, again, a classic case where the disciples are going to come up with a plan and they're going to get rebuked and God's going to show them a better way. Yeah. Well, we look forward to that. And thank you for uh, taking the time with us today, Richard. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.